Well, good morning, Restoration Church. How are you today? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interpret that the wrong way, I think. We, we, do we need to stop this morning and, uh, and play dodgeball uh, or to wake you guys up? I, I, I'm not sure. How are you today, church? Um, so you're potentially lying to me and, and telling me, we're doing really great, and then, but you're wiping away tears. Uh, listen, God is good. He's good. No matter what's going on in our life, we've got to stop and remember, God is good. He's kind. He's generous. He's faithful. He's loyal. He's forgiving. He's He's our God. That's why we've stopped and worshiped him. And we're gonna, we're gonna pop, we're gonna, we're gonna adjust here for a second. I need everybody at every location. So, so Plymouth, Milton, even online, I need everybody to stand up. This location here in Dover, other locations, I'm gonna determine, I'm gonna uh, believe that you're doing this right now. So maybe the other locations don't need this. This room needs this right now because they are staring at me like, uh, like they, they, like I'm, I'm speaking about a God they never met before. I said, God is good. He loves us. All right, and if we're in the midst, maybe, maybe this morning, maybe this location is in the midst of, of deep, treacherous sin, all right? Maybe that's true for you. But if you say this, Jesus, Jesus, I'm feeling conviction for how I've been living, and I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me, I, I'm a, I repent of my sin. And maybe you need to pray that prayer now, I'll give you, I'll give you 10 seconds to pray that prayer. Guess what? He forgives you. He forgives you. He's faithful. He's compassionate. He, he's, not, he's not reacting to you with the short patience like I reacted with my kids this week. And <laughs> he's, he's not irritable. He's jealous because he deeply wants your affection and your love. You close your eyes. We're gonna, we're just gonna pray here for a minute. And if you're comfortable, I'd raise your hands toward him. Jesus, we love you. We love you. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us where we've done wrong. Forgive us where we've neglected our walk with you. Forgive us where, where we've chased other things other than you. But right now we ask you, Jesus, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your embrace. We ask for you to move in our hearts, to move through your word, to move, remind us of your greatness and your goodness and your love and your compassion and your kindness and your generosity and fill us with your joy. Fill us with you, Holy Spirit. Fill us with this overflowing life that you promised. Jesus, we love you and we commit ourselves to you and your word. We commit ourselves to walking with you. And we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you. You can grab a seat. I hate to, uh, you know, have you ever been a student when the teacher punishes the whole class because of one student? So I don't want to punish all the locations because, uh, you know, because of this morning. But we just want to stop and say, you just always want to reflect and remember God and what he has for you today, his, his motives are to draw you to him. His motives are to help you realize his greatness. His motives are to help you realize he knows who you are. He, he knows your name. One, one scripture which we think is maybe hyperbole, but it's not, it's truth, that he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows every detail about you. He, in fact, he knows how many hairs you left in the shower this morning that have been added to the drain collection. He knows all the details of your life. Why does he know those details? Because he's obsessed with you. He passionately loves you. He he calls us in scripture his treasure. He's obsessed with you. If you, if there was a YouTube channel about your life, he would like and subscribe. <laughs> he loves you. This morning we're in week two of our series, Predictive Text, and we're looking at portions of scripture that talk about the future. They're, they're, one third of the Bible is prophecy. And some of that has already been fulfilled. Like uh, so much was written about Jesus before Jesus was ever born. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, it was written about the one who is to come. And so he fulfilled so many of those prophecies. But there's prophecies that have yet to be filled. And we've been looking at some of those and Today our message is titled, which I don't normally do this, but our message is titled Gog, Magog, and Gagne. So I'll give you a few definitions. We, start, we started our sermon last week with some definitions. So first off, let's define Gagne. Gagne is a French word. It means to win. That is my last name. So the idea is where do I fit in with everything going on in the end times? Where do you fit in today? And that's where we're going to kind of look at. How do I respond? How do I act? If the things you talked about last week, if it's happening, if we're in the end or the beginning of the end, if, if, it's, if this is it and, a gener- and it could happen it, it, you know, today or, or this next week or in the next couple of years, what should I do? And, and so that's what we're looking at today. So Gog and Magog are two famous words you'll, that, you'll hear, that you'll hear about. You'll hear people talk about, you'll hear predictions made about and it's primarily found in the book of Ezekiel, but, but those two words are, are, are found in other places. But in the end times, that there'll be a leader of a nation, and that's Gog and Magog, that, uh, that, that lead to two future wars. And, you know, and so a lot of people predict about who that person is, who that nation could be. And you could look at culture right now, you could make a few guesses. And you could see 
pressures and powers of, of what could happen and how there could be another major war on the rise. But for us, that's not anything we need to be fearful of, not anything we need to be scared of. But Jesus has told us, Ezekiel has told us, the Bible tells us to understand what's going on and then for us to figure out our place in it. What do we do? So open up your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 all morning. So when you, uh, when you open that up, keep it open. We're gonna, what we're going to be doing today is we're going to read a passage, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to work through this uh, all the way through verse number 13, likely, unless, uh, unless I run out of time. But this is where we're going to be today. And I want to start with verse number one. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse number one, Paul writes, Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Now, I want to stop right here. Go back to that verse. I just want to give you some understanding. The church in Thessalonica, which they're the Thessalonian church, which is why it's titled that way. They are a new church, and they are new believers. The, our understanding of, you know, Paul's writing a letter to them, but our understanding is that Paul lived there and, and helped start the church and was there teaching and training them um, for not very long, just, just a few weeks. He was there teaching them, and the church now receiving this letter is potentially just uh, it, itself a few months old. It's not a long established church. These aren't people who have been following Jesus for generations. They are new believers. And Paul says, you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. So when Paul is showing up and he's establishing a new church, one of the key things he's teaching them, we know from our last series, one of the first things he asks is, hey, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's one of the first questions he asks. But then we see one of the primary things he's teaching here is that Jesus is going to return again. He's going to return again. If our theology is one where we think, people have been saying that forever. If our theology is one where we think that maybe it's a fiction and it won't really happen, it will affect how we live our life today and how we live our life tomorrow. Scripture is deliberate about talking about it. Jesus was deliberate about talking about it. Paul was deliberate about talking about it. And as a church, we need to be deliberate about talking about it because it affects how we live. It affects how we live. So keep going through here. Um, Verse number three, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. There'll be no escape. Now, a question for you, uh, you know, and even at the other locations, you can just all sympathize with each other. Is there anybody who hates going shopping with their wife? Anybody in the room, you just kind of raise your hand. 
you know, there's a few reasons why. <laughs> and it's pretty common amongst, amongst cultures because when I go to Africa and it's shopping day in Africa, Bishop doesn't, he doesn't go. He's, you, you know, my wife, she'll go with you. I'm not going. It's pretty, it's common amongst all cultures. It, you know, there's a, there's a few reasons of this, but I remember one day shopping with Michelle and, uh, I, I, I don't know what it is about me, but I can be, uh, I can be shy. Like I, I, when I was a kid, I didn't want to go in the female section of the store, whether it's dresses, skirts, or intimates. <laughs> I, I just want to, like, I'll hang out here in the aisle, you go shop, and, and I still can be kind of that way a, a, a bit. But this one day, um, someone comes around the corner and we're at the store, we're at Old Navy, someone comes around this corner, and so there I am in the, in the middle of, of dresses and, and skirts, and they look at me. And um, really, it was no big deal. Like, uh, the, the awkward part was my, my wife, she says she was sitting, but in my memory, she's laying on the ground like this in, the, um, in, in, in old, old Navy. So the lady looks at me, she looks at my wife, and then I said, she's in labor. Which was true. Just in the middle of Old Navy, she has this contraction that cripples her to the ground. And uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, she's having a baby. And the lady stares at me like, what the bleep are you doing here? And I'm like, my wife's shopping. I don't really have much joy. You just go along. She's shopping. I didn't answer, but I'm like, <laughs> I, just, I just stood like this as I held a shirt on the hanger, like, <laughs> yeah, she's having a baby. <laughs> and so my wife picked out what she wants. We, we purchased it. I don't remember what happens next, but I know when we got to the hospital, that baby was born in 10 minutes. It was fast. The doctor was angry. Why didn't you come earlier? And we were like, we did. We came at 10.30. You told us to leave. <laughs> and um, and it, it, it's an interesting thing, right? Because you, you think it's going to happen as suddenly as a woman comes in labor. But when you're pregnant, it doesn't feel like it's happening fast enough. Right? And when you're pregnant, it doesn't feel like, oh, when will this baby come? Like, how, when's your due date? Four months from now. Like, holy smoke. <laughs> it just doesn't feel like it's fast, but all of a sudden, when it happens, it happens. And you think, like, you've had nine months to prepare. How did you have to birth the baby in the car? You've had nine months to prepare. <laughs> but it comes unexpectedly. And the... It talks about that Jesus is going to come. It's going to be like a surprise. And you just, again, how can it be a surprise when you know for so long? And even in that, right, if, you, if you've come back, and depending on what your situation was, if you've ever been pregnant or married someone, if you've had a significant other who's pregnant, there are false contractions. There are false labor pains. There can even be sometimes, um, you know, a fear that the baby could come early. And, and so even though you know there's a due date, even though you know there's a month of time, still it's a surprise. Our first son, he kept trying to come early. And so we spent, uh, we spent 
a few different weekends in the hospital because it was like seven months. And my nephew, when, my, when my ne- one of my nephews was born, he was three pounds, four ounces, so he's just this little guy. And so you have this memory of this happening. And, and so for like three months, every church event, every youth group event had a backup plan. You know, so, hey, I'm planning on being there, but if I call you at the last minute and say I'm not gonna be there, uh, here's what's happening, and here's who's in charge, and here's what's gonna be. You know it's coming, but it's still a surprise. In culture and the world, there are times and seasons where it feels like labor pains. When we talk about the end coming, or when we talk about Jesus returning, it just feel like it's never gonna happen, it's never gonna happen, it's never gonna happen, but it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. And we need to stay diligent about that. We need to be aware of that. And he, he goes on, right? So he says, he's like, I don't, I don't want you to be surprised like everybody else. And so look at verse number four. He says, but you are in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. It's gonna show up. It's gonna be unexpected for most, but not for you. You're gonna know. You're gonna be aware. So there's a difference between being surprised the baby comes early and surprised you had a baby. It's a big difference. So I've never personally met anybody who had a cryptic pregnancy, but I've watched it on TV. And so I had to go to the bathroom really bad and then the toilet started crying. True, like you can, you can read, you can watch accounts of these people who had a baby and they didn't know they were pregnant. Imagine that. Imagine that you're just living your life and then like, oh, we have a kid. It's surprising. I was surprising enough when you had it nine months in advance. I remember the first night in the hospital with my oldest son and I was still thinking it was like the 1980s and we had the kid and the nurse at 10 o'clock, she says, good night and she leaves and left the baby in the room with us. And I look at, I'm like, is she going to take him and put him in the nursery? And Michelle started laughing, like, they don't do that anymore, Grandpa. <laughs> like, what? And I was, like, terrified. Like, what do you mean they don't? We don't know what we're doing. I don't have ready for this. I wanted the three more days. <laughs> we, you know, we need to, you know, when Jesus comes, I'm sure we'll be like, okay, this is it. But we need not be surprised that he's coming. Jesus, in fact, in Matthew chapter 16, was criticizing the religious leaders of his day because they could not understand the signs of the times. They couldn't figure out what was going on in culture. They couldn't figure out who he was. They couldn't figure out the opportunity they had to know the one they've been waiting for. I want to look at this. As we keep walking through this, Paul tells us how to not be surprised. He gives us a few things to do. So when Jesus returns, or when the rapture of the church happens, which are two separate events, we briefly touched on that last week, 
we're not surprised that that's happened. So look down at verse number five. It says, for you are all children of light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. So how to not be surprised. Number one, be awake. Be awake. And there in Revelation chapter three, Jesus talks to seven different churches. One of those churches in Sardis, he brings a correction to them. Hey, you've lost your purpose. And he tells that church, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, verse number two. Wake up. Being awake is an important part of following Jesus. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for, what e for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. This is a church he's talking to. And I always wonder, if you were writing a letter to Restoration Church, what would he say? Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. We prayed through that this morning, actually. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. That same language Jesus is using as Paul used. Wake up, be awake. There's a couple of things about this, right? Because he's not talking about never sleep. He's not talking about, about having paranoia or fear or insomnia, he's not talking about that. Again, he's talking about purpose. If you have no purpose, what do you do? You sleep all day. You wear your pajamas all day, you never change. If you have no purpose, it's just routine, mundane, life, death and, ta you know, death and taxes is all you look forward to. But if you have purpose, what happens, what changes? Even the way you get out of bed in the morning changes. Night in this time, right, it's the illustration. We're of the dark, we're not of the night. Night is a time where people are guilty of drunkenness, gluttony, other vices, other, uh, uh, other sins, and they generally choose to do these things at night so they can hide under the cover of darkness. I'm not a runner, but when, occasionally when I do run, I, I go when it's dark out. I don't want people to see how hideous I look when I'm trying to run. It's the same thing. It's an embarrassment of what I'm doing, or I'm going to disguise it a little bit. We're not going to do these things at 11 in the morning unless we've got a real problem. We're going to cover it in darkness. He's saying, listen, don't be asleep. Don't just live lethargically. Don't live undercover. Be awake, be alert, and then he goes on to this, say this in verse number six. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. We're gonna be awake, but secondarily, we're going to be active. If we're recognizing it's the end or the beginning of the end, we're recognizing Jesus is gonna return, we're, we're here, we're, we're bumping up against it. Whether it's hours, weeks, years or a couple decades, we're there, we're getting close to it. We need to be active. 
One uh, scholar said this, so day is a season of watchfulness, sobriety, and work. Both heathen and Jews considered it eminently disgraceful for a man to be seen drunken in the daytime. And we still would think that. If you see someone drunk at 10.30 in the morning, even if you're an alcoholic yourself, you'll look down on them. You'll be judgmental toward them. And sometimes within Christianity, there's a temptation, there's even a culture, that if we recognize we're at the end, then our response, then our response would be to bunker down. And this is not what we're called to do. So I had the weird privilege of, uh, in sixth grade, meeting one of the weirdest Christians, I, I, even to this day, I've ever met. And he was a teacher at my middle school. So I'm in sixth grade, he's a teacher at the school, and he was only there for one year, because and sixth grade was a long time ago. But after that year, he quit his job as a teacher, and him and a whole bunch of people uh, moved into a community together, or onto a piece of property together, where they're gonna wait for Jesus' return. Now, I, don't, I haven't had any update since that time he quit his job, but I would guess he probably had to get another job since then. And instead of being active and participating in what God was doing in the world, he, they disengaged. He's coming, we gotta bunker down and get ready. This is not what scripture calls us to do. We're called to be active. There's a famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon, and he preached a sermon titled, Awake, Awake. And he talks about the tragedy of sleeping Christians with three illustrations he used in his message. The first was this, a city suffers under the plague with an official walking the streets crying out, bring out the dead, bring out the dead. All the while, a doctor with the cure in his pocket sleeps. People are dying, the person with the cure is disengaged. Second illustration he had was a passenger ship reels under a storm and is about to crash on the rocks, bringing near certain death to the hundreds of passengers all the while the captain sleeps. And then thirdly, he says a prisoner in his cell is about ready to be led to execution. His heart is terrified at the thought of hanging from his neck, terrified of death and of what awaits him after death. All the while, a man with a letter of pardon for the condemned man sits in another room and sleeps. We're called as the church to be awake and to be active because we carry that pardon letter. We carry that good news of Jesus to those who do not yet know, to those who will receive a judgment for their wrongdoing unless they receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers. So as a church, will we begin to recognize, oh, wait a minute, there's a lot happening. We don't become fearful, we become active. We don't hide and shelter. No, we step out and proclaim because when it gets challenging, when 
darkness settles in, then even small lights make a huge difference. The last thing he says here in verse number eight, he says, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Be awake, be active, be armored, be armored. That your faith and your walk is gonna go through some tests, is gonna go through some, some, some difficulties. As a church, there'll be difficulty, there'll be tension, there'll be pressure. Pressure to shut up, pressure to bow out, pressure to change the message of scripture, press pressure to redefine sin, a lot of pressure. We need to be armored against that, equipped to guard. Equipped to guard the words of Jesus. Equipped to guard the, the, the good news of his return. He says this, you're gonna be protected by faith and by love. Faith, you know, how do we, how do, how do we armor ourselves with faith? It, really, it's a simple thing. It's a, it's a daily devotion time with Jesus. A few series ago, I challenged you guys in that series to just take 10 minutes and don't do anything. Don't read your Bible, don't pray, don't listen to anything. Just put 10 minutes to, to listen and allow God to speak to you. Just allow him to speak to you. Allow him to, to encourage you. Allow him to bless you. When, he, when you recognize that he, that he cares for you when, you, when you learn how to listen to him, your faith increases. To read his word every day, not out of a religious obligation, but again, allowing him to speak to you through his word, allowing him to guide you through his word allowing him to correct you through his word and, and through prayer, praying bold prayers, praying for opportunities, praying for, you know, moving heaven and earth, moving spiritual forces out of the way for God's word, for his message, for his good news to be received in those we know and love. It says be armored by love as well, which is, which is partly community. Church is a huge part of this. We will love God and each other. We are armored when we're protected. We're armored when we're together. We're armored when we're, when we're serving each other. We're armored when we're, for, when we're forgiving each other. We're armored when we're praying each other, for each other. We're armored when we're worshiping together. We grow stronger in Christ when we're following him together. In verse number nine, so the bands can come up at uh, all of our locations. These next few verses, he begins, he just, he just begins to share some things. So um, I'm gonna, we're gonna just read through these. I'll make a, a couple comments on this. But so verse number nine says, for God chose to save us 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. We gotta remember, this is the good news. God sent Jesus for us. He was after us. He came for us to rescue us. And no matter what, uh, no matter what we face in our life today or tomorrow, Jesus is after us. He's coming again. There'll be, there'll be a finality to the tensions and terrors of this world. In verse number 10, Paul writes, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So we encourage each other and build each other up just as you already are doing. This comes back to that love part of being armored. Have regular practice of encouraging each other. Church, have regular practice of encouraging each other. Build the muscle memory of encouraging each other. Build that skill because when it gets hard, if you've got the disciplines and the practices already, godliness remains easy. If you're following Jesus in the greatest of times and and you have a discipline of following him, then no matter how difficult it gets, you continue to do what you've done. You continue to follow him as you have. And then lastly, I just find this is interesting, punched into the scripture. He says, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. The deacon, you know, nationally, October is Pastors Appreciation Month, and I don't know what pastor invented that. Um, but our, our, our deacons, who are uh, lay leaders in our church, they every year kind of determine uh, a day of the month that will, um, that, for our, that for our church will celebrate that. Because it's right here in the same passage of Scripture, I'll just take a second to talk about it. All of your locations, you have a location pastor and you have a staff pastor as well. I want you as a church this year to be very, very deliberate on encouraging, honoring, and blessing your location pastor and staff pastor at your location. All right, I'm taken care of. You don't need to worry about me. Bless your location pastor and the staff pastor at your location. Bless them. Maybe, maybe you can um, uh, cook them something. Maybe you can give them a gift card. Whatever you do, I'd encourage you to think ahead of time and write them a thank you card. The, there's a, just a dynamic, right, of leading in a church that we don't always understand. But we're called as sub-shepherds over the flock. That's how Jesus describes it. That we, as a congregation, we're a flock and Jesus appoints, he's the true, he's the shepherd, but he appoints sub-shepherds. Me, the other pastor, he appoints them over a location. And it says in Isaiah that uh, essentially paraphrase, take off the shepherd 
and the sheep will scatter. And one of the enemy's tactics is to take out the shepherd. And it is a, doesn't always feel daily, but it's a daily planning meeting that I think the enemy has. And some weeks are really, really hard. The, the criticisms, the anger, the accusations, some of it, some of it's wild, some of it's not true, some of it we learn from. Uh, but your location pastors and staff pastors, they pour out their life for you. They give their life for you. And I would just encourage you to be encouraging to them as it said here in verse number 11. Encourage each other and build each other up. Just as you already are doing, and I understand so many of you are so good at that. It seems like anytime I get a bad encounter with someone, I end up within 24 hours getting a great blessed, a great text from someone. So it's usually if someone says, you suck as a preacher, <laughs> usually someone will also say, hey, thank you for the word this morning. It helped me in this area of my life. And so they're both true, uh, but one is a, can be used by the enemy to discourage me and get me to quit and bow out. And then from your encouragement, you build me up, you help me to keep going. Bless your location leaders. Bless them uh, coming up this month. Again, don't do anything for me. Redirect all your energies toward them and take care of them. All right, got that? Got that? That was not rhetorical. Got that? All right, good. Awake, active, and armored. Let's pray. Jesus, we look forward to your return. We look forward and we sing about it. When we see you face to face, when all tears are wiped away, when things are set according to your will, and there is no more sickness, there is no more death, there is no more destruction, there is no more enemy, there is no more temptation. It becomes as you've desired and only as you've desired. Your will all the time. And that is gonna be a lot of fun. Jesus, today, I just pray you help us not to bunker down, not to be disengaged, not to just live for ourselves or live for culture, but to live, to live awake, to live as carriers of the good news, to, to just be ready for any opportunity you have to, to speak to someone, to encourage someone, to share your good news, to, to help each other. God, I just pray we'd live in worship and appreciation and deep awe of you. We'd love full of joy and full of kindness. God, that, that your perfect love would cast out all fear. There's nothing we ever have to fear because of you and your name and because of these predictive texts that shall show us what it's gonna be like when you come and take your place on this earth, when you come 
to reestablish everything according to the way your Father created it. It is going to be amazing. And we look forward to that, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you guys stand to your feet? We're going to just take a minute and worship, and then let the location leaders close out the service.